This is the Jazz Violin Podcast, episode 33, and today I'm chatting with Johanna Bernhardt. <laughs> So before I chat about my guest today, Johanna, um, I'm just going to quickly chat to you a little bit about Patreon. So Patreon is a way that you can support me or support the podcast. As you may well know, it's not the easiest time right now to be trying to make it in the world as a jazz violinist slash podcaster slash whatever I do. Um, the way Patreon works is you can donate a certain amount of money to the podcast every month to help keep things going, help me carry on making these podcasts and help me carry on paying rent, you know? You can see it like you're buying me a pint. It's sort of like, you know, you see me in the pub and you're like, hey, you, you, you do that podcast. I love that podcast. Hey, dude, this pint's on me, you know? But you do that every month and it happens automatically and you don't see me drinking a pint. Um, you see it like that. And the way it works is you don't have to pay and I don't expect you to pay. I do this because I love it and I will always do it. I'll do it even if you don't pay and that's going to happen. If you can't afford to do so, that's totally fine. The people who can, they're paying for you. It works out like that. It's sort of built around kindness and friendliness, you know? Anyway... If you would like to support the podcast, you can find me on www.patreon.com forward slash Matt Holborn. Also on there, you'll see details of my Jazz Violin Practice Club, which is a, you've probably heard me talk about it, but for anybody who's into learning to play jazz violin, this is my little method for us to practice together, work on things like... Uh, scale exercises and enclosures and writing jazz lines as well as how we might look at improvising over jazz standards and blah 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 but check out all the details there's a video on my patreon account that goes through it all and you know if you follow me on social media you've probably seen me harping on about it loads so anyway let's move on i've done the hard sell we're going to chat today to Joanna Bernhardt. Now, I've known Joanna on and off for the last five years or something like that. Hard to know. Time flies. I can't really tell. But something maybe like five years. Joanna is a London-based violinist. She is from Berlin. She is a great player, and she's just about to release a new album on Ropadope Records, which is really exciting. And I've been listening to the music. It's really cool it's really exciting new time for jazz in the uk and joanna is right in the middle of that and it's really cool to hear a violinist killing it in that context without further ado please give it up for joanna bernhardt
I guess it's not a good time to be a musician anywhere, but perhaps the UK, it feels a little bit more. You know, Germany is totally fine. Everyone I know there who is an artist uh, had 5,000 euros in their account within three days. Did they? Lockdown. Yeah, every single person. And I keep hearing from people who have German friends who kind of keep telling me, yeah, did you know my friend, he had 5,000 euros in their account? <laughs> yes, I did know because all <laughs> of my friends had 5,000 euros in their account. And I mean, just recently, I think it's, um, they uh, invested a billion in the uh, creative sector recently. It's the highest right. amount of all of the European countries. So mm. could be, you know, could be better to be there. <laughs> but just watching from afar, like, great yeah that must be quite annoying for you it's fine you know i i I am i i choose to be here it's not a you know not forced to be here of course that's how it goes yeah yeah it's funny i mean i was talking to somebody today about that and it's like there's a it's a total cultural thing and it's like it 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 goes back god knows how long it's uh i feel like we um you know, I don't know. You know, if you're left, if you're left leaning, sure. which I certainly am, um, <clears throat> it can be easy to blame the current government fully for the uh, the state of the arts and the uh, and the way that the arts are treated. But it isn't. It you know, it isn't the government. It's. I mean, obviously, it is yeah. a bit, but it's also just like Britain. Like we just, you know, and it's, and it, and it, and it crosses both uh, sides of the political spectrum. Why am I talking about politics? I'm an idiot. I don't know. Well, literally everything that everything is about politics at this point. It's very hard to have even one conversation where it doesn't come up because we're completely controlled at the moment and it's all kind of overshadowed from politics, which is, you know, a good and a bad thing in a sense everyone no one is really allowed to not care anymore i feel like that's the one good thing that comes out of this like no one can kind of be like i'm not into politics like yeah 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 i mean yeah i guess case in point is that uh we we started this call with the hopes of talking about jazz violin and we're instantly (laughs) and i'm instantly making comments on the words yeah, we can't help we, it. Yeah, we can't help it, and we we have no gigs. <laughs> That's um, kind of yeah, because of a virus and because of how it was handled. So yeah, that's mm. how it goes. But, yeah. yeah, I guess uh, the point I was trying to make before I started, before I stopped myself, was that like Britain, we just there isn't you know if you speak to it, if you go to, if you go to any any board any sort of regular person in the uk doesn't matter whether they're right or left leaning most of them won't don't care about jazz violin let's, let's talk specifically <laughs> yeah. they definitely don't care about jazz most people definitely, definitely don't care about not, jazz violin. No. no one has ever heard of it so yeah no no <laughs> um although you know i guess people listening uh hopefully hopefully you guys know about jazz violin i don't know of right? course they do <laughs> um okay so Thanks, thanks for uh, thanks for chatting to me today. Yeah, no, thanks for inviting me. I thought, you know, I just seen recently that you've got this this album coming out. 
and we've met we've met a couple of times via being yeah. in London and playing jazz via yeah. but not you know we don't know each other that well no. but I saw that you had this album come out and it's coming out on Rope Dope Records right yeah on the 30th which is super month. exciting yes cool. I don't know yeah I, I was like whoa that is that is super exciting and yeah. I was really excited to, to check out the music and the music's yeah, yeah. great thank uh, you it's really really nice really cool and thank uh you. yeah well I mean I've only heard one track I can't remember what it, that's called you've got a, it's a single that's out now yeah I've got my single out it's called silence is golden and um yeah that's it yeah it's it's the they call it the instant gratification track there's all okay. these great new words that I'm learning it's um yeah it's very exciting for me um yeah. and uh yeah so so far I have had a lot of very nice responses about this track and um I guess it features the least amount of violin on the entire album <laughs> but um it, it's uh I think the most um interesting for all the jazz listeners and also kind of quite easygoing for people who don't listen to jazz that much and it's not overwhelming in that sense that I don't understand this and therefore yeah. I don't like it so I, I think that's why I chose it to have this kind of uh yeah middle ground between those two worlds obviously I don't like worlds being pushed aside I mean I feel like you as a jazz violinist know this too that uh, we get put in a box and there's like a big divide between the classical violinists, the jazz violinists, and then jazz violinists and other frontline instruments. And um, it's, yeah, I don't like it very much. So I kind of try to... Actually, yeah, mostly when people ask me what I do, I tend to just say I'm just a violinist. But it's also, I think we both learned from... No, did you study with Chris Garrick? I've had a couple of lessons with Chris. Yeah, a few. Yeah, so he says that as well to students to you know it's kind of it limits you in a sense if you say you're a jazz violinist but then obviously it's true to me in a certain extent that I'm mostly I only do jazz and a lot of other genres that are connected with it um but I mean I have classical training and technically I could do classical gigs but I feel like there's millions of other people out there who have studied it much more than I have, who have more to contribute there, and um, I don't need to be taking those gigs. So it's hard to kind of identify with both, either or all. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't know what my point was here with the track, but um, it's the least <laughs> violin-y, I guess. But there is much more violin on the the rest of the album, um, mm. which you will be able to check out very soon. Yeah. Um I mean, you know, the reason that I call myself a jazz violinist is because, yeah, you know, I, I would I, I would feel sorry for the person who paid me to be a classical violinist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we have been it. on a gig where you were paid to be a classical violinist. You, <laughs> I think did, the last did, gig, did right? You see the, did you see the fear in my eyes? Um, yeah, I think you, you, you were hiding it very well. Was it? Um, yes. I think you right. were very much in control of the, everything that was going on. So. Well, that's good. Uh, because I didn't feel like that, and okay. I, uh, I think that was. I mean, pre-coronavirus, probably the most stressful point that. I, oh my god! <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's all just in your head, and you know, in my yeah. head, I was like, "Oh my god, I can't read," you know, or I'm not <laughs> great at reading, and uh, this isn't going to be good. I'm going to completely spaff it in front of this right. like really great violent, you know, whatever. I just being it, you know. I don't know if you know what. 
if you get that you know the i get it the yeah. self-doubt but, oh yeah did you get any any you know doubtful looks from your desk partner no i just different? really uh, you know i we know we we i feel like we as musicians we know how to we know i i knew that i was going to be stressed and i knew that i was going to be worried about getting doubtful looks so i just tried my hardest to in a calm and collective manner mm -hmm. make it known that you know that this was the situation so then yep. I, you know yeah oh you know i know this is great yeah i've not really done this before you know it's just all that stuff uh, it's a little bit it's, it's quite similar to the, like you know when people at the end of a gig they're like oh man i don't think i played very well and it's just oh, sort yeah. of trying to you know manage the sit you, you if you feel out of control of the situation you might anyway jesus why am i talking about that <laughs> i would like to um i would like to just ask you how you first got into playing how you, how you first got I, I just can't believe i've just gone on some like rant about about how about myself it's coronavirus i don't speak to anybody you know so <laughs> i just gotta tell everyone my stories no the problem but, man totally so fine. you know i'm sorry that's over it's, it's not about me it's about you <laughs> i want to it's a little uh, about you but yeah thank you that's fine no um, it's about you i want to know how you started playing how you started yeah, playing I started, the violin i started violin at seven um after having two years of piano uh -huh. and um i continued piano but my sister who's four years older she was playing the violin and my mother had done that obviously in a sense of oh she can then accompany her and mm -hmm. you know that will work out really well and um i decided i want to play the violin too and um it i yeah i continued with both instruments for all of my life really but um, kind of before uh my before I became a teenager already, it became quite clear that violin is the dominant instrument. And um, yeah, it was very clear that that's probably what I'm going to do because I, I can't do anything else. So, you know, I'm sure you you uh, can relate. Yeah. But um, not that you can't do anything else. But yeah, no, that's you got it down. Of... <laughs> you got it down. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, so it's... Uh, I think it was very clear that I was going to do classical violin. I... Um, I mean, you wouldn't really think about jazz violin, I think. The only country I've come across where it's more normal to have people learn jazz on violin early on is really France. So um, it's not, I've, I've, yeah, it was very, the, just the normal route. So I came to a, um, uh, how do you say, musician's boarding school here in Wales, um, in Somerset. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, I went there for, for sixth form and um, during my time there, I had a very, very good teacher who was, I tended to have quite, um, uh, how do you say, I mean, they're difficult teachers, I guess, right? They kind of tended to be people who I was warned about by other students, like, oh yeah, I had lessons with her and she's very difficult and I stopped. And I usually got along with these teachers very well and um yeah, this teacher turned out to be the most important because, you know, I only had two years with her and, um, it, you know, during your second year, you're supposed to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life, right? Normal stuff at 17. And um, it was very much, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'll study violin, right? And um, she kind of 
mentioned like she would usually do she'd be very honest she'd say you know um I love your playing and I think you're a good player but I think you'll have trouble in the classical world because I had you know I had my own ideas of on how to interpret music I guess and it's a, it's just a bit more rigid in um, classical music there's a certain way you play Bach and Mozart and all of those things and um, I feel like everyone should be free to play however they want to play but obviously some people might not pay for that so um it was uh, out of that really that I kind of cons at first, you know, firstly looked at what it means to be a classical violinist. So I looked at orchestra jobs and professor jobs and all those things. Obviously, it's kind of too late to become a soloist at some point. You have to build up quite early. And um, yeah, it's a very hard, hard scene. So um, yeah, it just became, it quickly crystallized that maybe. I don't want to sit in an orchestra, like no offense to anyone who wants to sit in an orchestra, but I felt the creative freedom obviously leaves very soon. And um, I think, again, this feeling of I have nothing to add, just figuring out where where I could fit in as a player. And so it kind of detaches from the instrument and goes more towards what music is actually uh important to me in that sense and um yeah from then on she kind of advised me to do a few courses see if I like the jazz world if I want to do that if I want to study that and then see if I fit in there and again quite quickly I couldn't really uh see myself in a lot of the traditional senses but it was definitely much more of an open field and it was kind of like a new instrument to learn so it was very intriguing and uh, also you know the thing that actually decided it was I don't listen to classical music at all like I go to concerts if I have friends playing or obviously I play the music and I like playing it but I would never put on the new Hilary Hahn uh, whatever um, Caprice because I just don't listen to it and um, I find it more exciting to play it and uh I really just, I started listening to a lot of uh, Billie Holiday during that time. She kind of roped me in as uh, the first player. I think my first CD was uh, Abdullah Ibrahim. And um, I couldn't really, I didn't really get it. Because I was really young. It was given to me as a present. And uh, I kind of came back to it and uh, then found Art Tatum and it all fucking spiraled from there. And it was really... Uh, yeah, there's no return, you know, at some point. <laughs> All the other stuff seems just too easy and you kind of want to understand what they're doing and it's it it just yeah, it never ends, I think. Obviously, there's always just geniuses who can who you can check out and obviously it's the same in every genre really. Everyone finds their own um fascination, but uh yeah, so it was kind of around that time that I changed and I went to Berlin to uh, study with two jazz violinists there for two years and then I did um the uh auditions here in London at the Guildhall and that's where I went, which is a whole other chapter but um <laughs> that's uh that's uh, how I got here, I guess, and which is why I'm still here in london mm. so so you you're you're seventeen. And it just it strikes me that it's quite a, it's quite a lot of. Um, you just sound sound like you were very uh, aware of yourself from quite from from around there. You know, when you're thinking to yourself, "Hey, you know, I want I want more creativity. I want mm -hmm. to." You know, most people when they're seventeen, they're just like, "I'm seventeen. 
yeah. and that's about it. But I, you know, so would you say that that um, that uh, that awareness has stuck with you? Do you think that's that's a part yeah. of your personality? Very much. I think um, awareness. It was kind of. I think it came naturally in the beginning. Obviously, I left my home country at sixteen, so that kind of already puts you into this position where okay, it's really counts. You know, I've never had a lot of pressure from my parents to make everything count and if I if I turned around and be like I don't want to do violin sorry guys like no one would have been upset or anything it's really been out of my own um, pressure that I, I I came here and I wanted to figure out what was going to happen with it I'm not very conscious though like you kind of move into it and then you realize all these things that you did which obviously as you say I was a teenager and you don't really sit there every day being like right what do I feel and where am I going uh you don't you don't want to be that kind of a teenager definitely not and um but yeah a lot of things you know I think I I have definitely always had um very strong reactions to things that don't sit well with me so I'd start feeling ill or really really depressed or kind of I get quite strong reactions and I've I guess my family and I have always had the approach of okay it's I'm not going to try and hammer down the symptom I'm going to try and figure out why I'm feeling like this and not just you know be like okay well I'll feel bad so let's find a way to um, function and move on it's more of a okay well I guess I got to change and I don't fit where I'm what I'm doing and um, yeah so yeah when I look back sure it was definitely quite in tune but also you feel quite lost at that point because everything you thought you were going to do was up in the air and um didn't work out how you planned it to and uh what i take from that and everything else is that usually plans change massively and that's kind of okay (laughs) but and it doesn't stop me from planning but it does you know need you need to be flexible to be able to kind of listen and assess if something doesn't do well and you're not you're not happy with it and then you just got to have to have to turn around and see what it is I think and that's I think how it happened probably it's a good lesson for the uh, current state of affairs isn't it 100%. yeah see um, which maybe we'll talk about in a bit but yeah uh so you got to got to London to study at the Guildhall by the way who did you st- who were the two violinists you studied with in is it Berlin? Yeah, in Berlin. I was studying with um, Valentin Gregor and um, Uli Bartel, and they're both amazing. I studied with both of them around a year, I think. Uh, in Germany, we have these um, kind of uh, very cheap courses that you can do while you're finishing school um, to prepare for auditions because German music auditions are full on, uh, yeah. very difficult. And so you have to, you don't ever. Uh, get prepared for that at school you need to do extra training for that and um, therefore I did these prep courses and you had um, your second study which was always piano unless you're a pianist obviously and um, theory and band and rhythm and your main study uh, every week and I think the whole thing cost 80 euros a month or something it was insane just like great I think that's I think I've got a friend who who did that but a I mean, of mine from Manchester actually just went over to Berlin just to huh. do that course for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. 
uh, just to do that course for a couple of years, uh, yeah. not not in the hope of getting into the conserv- just conservatoire, to do the but just yeah. because it's a great course. It's so great. It's absolutely amazing. And you're learning with all of the amazing German jazz musicians who are all at the top of the field and because they're all in Berlin and teaching. So it's kind of, it was insane, really. <laughs> it was really, really good. I have to say I was a little bit bummed when I came here because, you know, suddenly you're paying £9,000 a month, uh, a year, a month is might as well, to be honest. And, um, yeah, it's um, it was very different, very different. And, uh, I mean, I don't know, where did you go? You studied in the North? Uh, yeah, I studied in Leeds College of Music. Yeah, I was actually um, also recommended that when I, when I was at Wales. People were like, you know, it's not just London. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't actually know who teaches jazz violin there. Omar Puente. Oh, was it Omar? Okay, right. Uh, in the past tense. As in oh, when really? I was there, Omar was Not there. Not anymore. But I, he left halfway through me being there. And I oh. was then taught by a classical violinist and a jazz saxophone player. Sure. Um, okay. But, okay. Guildhall. Yeah. yeah. You enjoy right. it? Um, to an extent. I mean... It's you know it, I I've, I don't know who who is listening to this obviously in general Guildhall is a great school I think the best thing about it is that you're uh, in a pool with all of these other people who are studying acting uh, uh, classical opera uh, technical things electronic music you're all kind of in the same bubble whereas for example I wanted to study in Berlin originally because that's the best jazz school maybe it's a toss-up between Berlin and Cologne um but um it's uh it's a great school in Berlin and um they're quite elite and quite small I guess and um the worst thing about it is though that they're completely shut off they have their own tiny little um house somewhere in West Berlin and uh they used to be a part of the bigger school which is famous for classical music and um yeah they're completely shut off and Everyone who's come out of there has complained about that, being like, "We, all you do is hang around with the jazzers, and it's right. great." But They'll come out with like point, PTSD. Literally, <laughs> it's just a little bit. Where are the other people? And yeah, uh, yeah they all kind of leave for New York as soon as they can. So right. yeah, right. I feel like that was yeah. a big pro. That's and hard enough just living in like a shared house with loads of jazz musicians. There you go. You know? No. <laughs> People are just like, you know, what have you been practicing? Oh, I don't know. I've just been practicing this. <laughs> cool. And then, like, you just, yeah. I nightmare. Know. Yeah, no, that's my nightmare. I know I know it works for some people, but it really doesn't work for me. I'm, I like to be either by myself or with people who do other things. But um, other creative things, it clashes with people who don't, who have a totally different lifestyle, obviously. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, that was a very good part of of. Guildhall, I, uh, I'm still very close with a lot of the actors from my year who, yeah, just very good friends. And um, it was just, a, yeah, it opened up this whole other side of England and um, this whole community here because, yeah, it is intertwined. And in my first year, I got to play for the um, production of Hamlet at school and it was super special and it was a complete coincidence that they needed an improvising violinist to roam on the stage. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. I was the only one. So, yeah. Uh, the, the problem with it was that I was um, the first undergrad um, jazz violinist and um, 
yeah, they clearly hadn't prepared for it, basically. It was kind of, they advertised jazz violin and I auditioned and great, we will create the course for you if you come. And um, yeah, I didn't really do any more research, you know. I was just like, yeah, cool, that's great. I'm going to go study. And obviously it's a famous school, blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah, it was um, it was just, there wasn't a lot of lessons. And um, I was learning with Stuart Hall, who's amazing, obviously. Um, but I just come from uh, two very much professional jazz violinists who live off being jazz violinists. And I was still fairly new to jazz, um, I feel. And uh, therefore, it was a bit disillusioning to, yeah, not even be presented someone who's doing what I'm trying to learn to do as a full-on profession, you know. And it was, yeah, two years, I think, it took. And I, because you're not allowed to choose your teachers for two years, and after two years, you can make choices. And, um, yeah, I went to head of jazz and said, do you know, Stuart doesn't play the violin, right? Like, what do you mean? Yes, he does. <laughs> well, he does, but he's not in lessons. He's a guitarist. And because he's a multi-instrumentalist, no one ever asked him if he wants to teach all the violinists. You know, he was just kind of like, yep, yeah, great. You play that instrument. Please go and teach. And um, obviously he played guitar in lessons. And like you said, I mean, I'm, I actually had lessons with Martin Speak as well after that. And um, at some point it's very, he's a saxophonist. Um, and he has a very good method, which was super helpful to me. Um, because in the end it is about learning the music rather the instrument at that point. And obviously I had learned a lot of the, a lot of the instrument already with my classical training. And um, it was just, yeah, some things just don't fit so easily on violin and it just helps to have a violinist who's tried to figure out the same problems as, as you have, obviously, and um, has solutions for them. And uh, yeah, so I literally had to tell them that Stuart doesn't play the violin in lessons and they didn't know. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we changed, I changed to Chris Garrick after that, but um, yeah, I'd, I had only two years left, obviously. And uh, yeah, you just didn't get that much, that many lessons. Obviously I was a bit spoiled by this super cheap prep course from Berlin where you get all these lessons every week for very little money and um, training wise I could have you know learned what I have learned surely uh, also in a cheaper way but um, the point of studying at a school essentially for me was to find people I want to play with and um, that definitely worked out so um, yeah it had it had its its up and downs you know but I'm I'm you know I'm not resentful that I went, <laughs> that's for sure. But yeah, there were there are definitely things they can improve. So yeah, I mean, I you know I have to I have probably quite similar experience to you with you know with, with that as well yeah. uh, from being yeah. at Leeds, and I guess it's the state of you know the state of jazz violin education is not so great in the UK. Yeah. I guess I mean I think it's getting better. I, I think sure. I think actually Guildhall. I think Richard Jones. Who's another London-based guy? Is now just is now teaching there. Really? And All right. Yeah, and they've. Right. I think just as more violinists in this world exist, yeah, it will get better. I mean, you know, I always look at um, Berkeley mm -hmm. and see how included or how inclusive it is to violinists who want to study something other than classical music, and they've. Just it got, is, yeah. They've just got. They have a whole Everything. string department, yeah. A string department. And I had the yeah, guy yeah. who, Matt Glazer, who sort of yeah, put Matt that Glazer, together. Yeah, Matt Glazer, yeah. 
had him on here yeah. a couple of months ago. Right. And it's really interesting. It's just really interesting. And it's, it's, it's interesting that that's a thing over there and it's not, it been, you know, there's no string, the jazz string department in any no. of these places. It's no, it's I know for a fact, someone applied as jazz violin uh, recently, I think last year or something at the guild hall and rocked up with a cello. <laughs> like, right. I don't, someone on the panel was like, well, you can't play because you're not a violinist. And right. uh, luckily the, current head of jazz was like no 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 it's fine we just don't advertise for cello <laughs> so, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't know if it worked out but yeah it's definitely just still quite narrow over here definitely mm. and i did i did go to the berkeley five weeks course on one of the courses that i uh, visited huh. um when trying to figure out what i want to do unfortunately matt laser wasn't there mm-hmm. for that and i wasn't super fond of my teacher who i had for the summer but there were other people like um no, she was actually, I did another course at Guildhall as well um, before I went there with, um, there's this viola player. She's amazing. What's her name? Um, she was very nice. And, uh, oh, I'm so bad with names. And um, People she was, always forget viola players' names. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I don't know why it's a thing, but yeah, I thought you grow up with jokes about viola players, so it's, yeah. it's mean. Yeah. That's just a cheap shot from me. I know it's not funny. It's, uh, or mean, is it? I don't know. Or is it? Um, <laughs> the problem. It's not Fiona. It's something with an. Oh, maybe it's Fiona. So I'll I'll figure it out. But yeah, um, she was great, and she was part of why I actually thought, oh, Guildhall looks good. Yeah, cool. But she doesn't teach there. <laughs> She's from America. Oh, so. Right. Uh, <laughs> she uh, she just hangs out there in the summer sometimes. And um, okay. Yeah. But mm. yeah, no. That's why I thought maybe she was at Berkeley as well. But. Um, yeah, definitely. So many violinists there. And actually, most of the violinists that are on the scene now in America, I know through that course, that time, mm. because we're all kind of similar ages, I guess. And um, they were all there. Right, <laughs> okay. Guys. Yeah, really good. Yeah. And also, I went to a DG school um, in... You went there? Yeah, Paris for oh, wow. once a month, a year. You've gone everywhere. Yes. I tried That's... to... That's amazing. You know, you just get kind of. I got um, scholarships for everywhere because everyone needs uh, uh, the foreign quote, you know. So it's quite useful <laughs> uh, to kind of yeah be like, I'm not from this country. Can I come, please? Yes, here you go, free of charge. Just buy your ticket. So, amazing. Yeah, I went to a lot of these um, with scholarships, but um, yeah, GDA school was great, but. Um, uh, there again, I was very much uh, confronted with um, okay, there's the strong swing school, obviously, it's the Manouche style, and uh, I didn't see any other um, genre presented there, basically. And I mean, I saw people who frankly are better than DGE, <laughs> like amazing teachers and amazing players. Um, Joanne is one of them, like Joanne Renard. Have you come oh, across yeah. him? Yeah, yeah, I mean, fucking hell, like, yeah, he was so good and great te- at teaching, and um. Yeah, quite a few of his students are mega. So, um, yeah, it was a, it's an amazing school. But I just had this strong feeling of, um, yeah, I have nothing to add. Like, you guys are all crazy good. So I'm going to have to find my own my own niche, I guess. So Is it, uh, Was it just a, a matter of, like, you weren't just in, you just weren't into that, that style? Yeah, just, well? a, I mean, I'm not super good at it. I mean, I can, obviously. I've played loads of swing gigs because all the kind of... Uh, Functions are usually swing, obviously, and you have to be able to play it if you want to work random gigs. But um, 
it's I feel like that yeah again you know you measure yourself always it's not a great thing to do but measuring myself against other people who really dedicate all of their time to master this specific style I just feel like I'm not the best at it and I wouldn't kind of put myself forward to um, really uh, yeah play it play music in that style uh, super well yeah. but yeah and it's always a bit of a, I have to prepare quite a lot to get back into it whereas if you check out my music it's quite clear that I'm just much more in the modal world and um, uh, yeah language was always a, the main feedback for me in school as well like we need more language from you it's like I'm I'm playing language. It's just my own. It's my own language. <laughs> I haven't play, I haven't copied it. Sorry, so <laughs> not all of it. Would I be right in thinking that you you don't get like super excited about like transcribing stuff? Then is that? Oh, is I that do. No, oh, you do. 100%. Okay. Yeah. No, I think transcribing is super good, and um, I think it's so fun as well. I just think it's yeah. a great skill. You know, it's yeah. a really cool skill, and um, I love playing along people I find amazing. And obviously, there are. I've I've transcribed Grappelli and um, uh, Ponti and obviously then mostly Miles Davis and Charlie Parker and Coltrane because that's what you do at school, yeah. obviously. And uh, but it has a reason because it is helpful and it makes you uh, it makes your harmonic ear develop. And um, I tend to not then kind of internalize language so much. It's more of a I, I get dexterity and. Um, I think a lot of the language maybe does seep in, but I kind of have this urge to pull against playing something that is completely copied from someone else. Like I find, obviously, I have a few Parker riffs in my in my bank, which uh, is fine, but I do always notice when I'm doing it. I feel slightly detached when I play that because yeah. it's like, it's actually I'm pressing a button and it's like, this one fits here, cool. And yeah. then there's that jazz lick that is just like... Uh, <laughs> The lick <laughs> that shows you went to music college, and uh, that one is fun to play, and sure makes sense. But um, yeah, I just like to kind of go further. But I still, I love transcribing. Definitely, I think it's a great, yeah. great thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I, I like it too. I find it. I find it's uh, fun. It's a nice. I was talking to somebody about this. Someone I was teaching the other day about how it. It can be a nice. It can be a nice thing to do because the like jazz, like learning jazz is such a cerebral thing, yeah. and you know you say you're like, all right, I want to get better at playing over these changes, or I want to get better player over this chord, or whatever yeah. you you know. And then you're like, you practice it for a bit. You practice all the stuff that you probably know to do different things yeah. that people have told you to do, and you're like, okay, so am I any better at it now? And you're like, don't know, and yeah. and, and it doesn't you know the stuff that you practice doesn't come out. No. for for years sometimes or it doesn't 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 become part of you for years you know any yeah. of this stuff but transcribing i find is the one thing that you can be like hey you know i'm gonna start something and then i'm and then i'll know when it's finished because i'll have finished it or i'll oh, have okay, like okay. at least gone halfway through it and like cool i got halfway through that that's great and exactly. and, and and you know with classical music you've always got that there's always a you can always give yourself an end goal but with jazz it can be difficult so transcribing even if it's just like you said, it's like, you know, it's just fun to get involved with somebody else's playing for a bit, isn't it? And Definitely. Like, you sort of pretend yeah. to be them. Exactly. But yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess so you, it seems like for you, uh, a large part of, of your, your about a large, a large uh, big thing mm -hmm. for you is trying to be uh, unique 
and to be well you don't have to try to be unique but it's, it's to be unique and to um be yourself in your playing and to yeah. and to try to do something new is that definitely i think um my favorite player is um Spigny of Seifert and oh, yeah. um, i think what he preaches in a sense is don't try and sound like me like he literally says that i did my dissertation on him and I've, so crammed through everything he's ever said publicly and um yeah a lot of that was obviously he he uh, practiced Coltrane and McCoy Tyner uh, for two years without break it seems and then just had all this language which sounds very familiar but just sounds different on violin because it's just you know not really meant for violin so a lot of the, th the things that he plays when you try and play them are super awkward and um yeah very <laughs> confused how he played them at that tempo so easily and um well it sounds easy at least uh and uh it's i think that was the just the most helpful thing to see and and hear was someone like that saying you know don't yeah don't try and emulate what i'm doing also he died obviously he's so young so it's kind of um i think probably wise beyond his years in that sense that it makes no sense to try and copy someone just for the sake of i want to you know i, I want to make sure that i get to this point that he got to and whatever it might be that makes you follow someone um 100 i think the most important thing that can be passed along is to try and find your own unique um yeah unique twist on it and you know obviously that doesn't mean don't study people who've come before you it just means to you can internalize it and then you can think about what you would do with that with all the stuff that you know now and uh it yeah it i think that was also probably one of the only really helpful things that was taught at guildhall was we had a few of these like admin management sessions and all they said for three hours basically was yeah, sorry, guys. Um, I mean, we can't really tell you to do all of these things like we used to do them because it keeps changing and you're going to have to stay ahead of whatever is happening. So um, it's a great thing to hear when you're <laughs> to paying loads of money to get a degree that is hopefully worth something. And um, all they're saying is it won't be worth anything if you don't innovate. And um, they have a point, obviously, but it's... I wonder if there maybe in the future will be a better way to actually teach people how to innovate rather than just telling them to innovate. So, you know, it's it's just kind of they're giving you an empty box and you're supposed to fill it with something without telling you what that could be. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I would therefore probably, uh, yeah, call myself that. And I guess also I don't really know if anyone... Uh, is a, is kind of going after the sound I'm going for. I, I think the album that I have now is um, turned out really well in that sense and quite quite different to what I had actually envisioned. I hadn't uh, really thought about it. I wrote some tunes, you know, and then I really wanted to record them so I can hand something to promoters to get gigs. And um, I got uh, a producer involved at some point because I thought, might as well, you know, like a mentor, maybe someone who's knows what's going on, he can maybe help me with recording. And I would literally would have recorded like a live gig, basically, right? You just record your band and you mix it and then you're done. And uh, this producer, Noel Langley, he's a trumpeter, <clears throat> and I got him involved. And uh, he kind of just pushed it to this entire new level and made me 
kind of incorporate other genres that I love. I really love um, uh, techno and house. Being from Berlin, obviously, it's a, just a huge influence. And uh, it, it's, I think, why the London scene is so interesting because people here all have this great jazz training and they come from super musical uh, bubbles and they grow up playing together. And um, then they also listen to hip hop and R&B and uh, loads of other music that we're all listening to, obviously, even if it's not conscious. And um, yeah, they're making this, they're making, putting this twist on jazz, which see, it sounds familiar to more people. So I feel like I came here and I was like, people are literally listening to improvised music, like most people and young people. And it's not a thing in Germany. If you go to jazz gigs there, they're really very much middle-aged and elitist in a sense. And I was just quite confused by that. It's like, this uh, this gig is packed with young people and we're, we're going to listen to music that's essentially improvised. And it's because they're putting their own spin on it and they're, you know, incorporating either rhythms or harmonies or instruments that usually wouldn't be added and uh, therefore making it, yeah, move into this new era, I guess. And that's why it's doing so well, I think. And yeah. I think that's what we all, we all should be doing. You know, obviously, if if uh, people are literally listening to only jazz 100% and that's what they love, then that's what they should be playing and that's what they should be concentrating on. And uh, I just happen to be someone who is also influenced by uh, another genre and other instruments, therefore. And um, obviously kind of a very produced sound in a sense so my album is quite produced in that sense and we recorded it very separate separately we still played together but in our own booths and uh therefore it could uh, it was we, we were able to man manipulate a lot of the sounds and um yeah i had a <laughs> i then had the problem of figuring out how to do it live <laughs> and uh obviously it's uh that's just another just another obstacle but it's actually i think the better way around that you managed to produce something that sounds like the way you would like to sound live and then you try and push it push your live set to what you made rather than the other way around and uh, which is kind of I think takes longer and, and is harder and um, I really just didn't imagine my album sounding like this therefore I really just I thought I'll just you know play a little bit and I obviously use electronics but not to the extent that is on the album now. And I mean, now I do. <laughs> I've had to adapt my, my life set. And um, it's so fun and it's really, yeah, it just makes you experiment experiment much more. And uh, it's um, it's a, it was a very different process than what I thought it would be. So it's, uh, yeah, that's, therefore I think, you know, trying to be unique is not really, a, it's not like a conscious thing. It's just really came out of okay I'm gonna just incorporate both of the things that I'm influenced by which you wouldn't put together usually so it, it's harder in a sense because you don't have someone you want to try and sound like because that is easier to aim for but then again you know I have this record now that I kind of want to sound like and hopefully uh, beyond that in the future but I guess I'm kind of setting my own trail and I try to uh, yeah, I try to follow my own my own taste in that sense, and um, it's yeah, we'll see <laughs> we'll see where it goes. So far, it's been received very well. So hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully I can kind of yeah wriggle my way to somewhere that is solid for me and that also inspires others. Obviously, because yeah, you want to be inspiring to to other people, and there aren't so many players who 
do jazz on violin and um yeah but i think there's it's becoming more right i mean you you seem to teach a, a lot of people um yeah good? yeah i mean there's yeah there's there's lots of growing there's lots more huh it's growing the numbers are yeah are yeah there. i mean i think it's been it's always growing and i think mm. there will be a point when i mean we're still like jazz is such a young art form if you compare it yeah. to the other art forms that we sure. that we uh that we follow as uh as listeners yeah. it's so young and it's a and if you compare it to all the to other improvised art forms like indian classical music or yeah. you know the makam thing or, or you know things like that it's it's very young so yes, true. wait what was my point my point is that mm-hmm. we're still in like a we're still in like the early stages of it i uh, guess yeah and uh, we're still and, and and as well there's the the, the thing that's very prevalent like and we like to think that the jazz world is um is because it's improvised and it because it has this idea of openness about it or this feeling of openness about it we like to sort of think that the that the scene is going to be just inclusive and 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 simple to for any you know it should be it should be but actually mm. there is so much tradition Yes. Even though it's such a young art form, there's still so much chat about tradition and, oh, you should up- uphold tradition. I'm actually Very not much. saying that's a bad thing. I think that, you know, upholding traditions is important because if you don't uphold traditions, then they disappear. But we're so, we're, it's, so, it's so young that, like, we're still all sort of... We're still getting caught... You know, people in a... Jazz musicians or jazz bands are getting caught up in, like, okay, well, you know, like that guy 40 years ago didn't have a violinist in his band and yeah. and he and that guy is my hero yeah so and you know yeah. and like and that's and that's why we're still dealing with this i feel mm-hmm. like give it another 100 years if we haven't like you know all Blood died of up. coronavirus yeah <laughs> i don't think we'll be caring at all we'll have it'll have opened out hopefully yeah no i mean it has to change i think it has to shift and uh i think yeah like you said i like tradition too i love getting a seeing a traditional big band gig or whatever it is and just see people celebrate what people did a hundred years ago like so so great but then like you said i think it's a matter of uh inspecting tradition and um you know essentially i know that for example in the beginning, I was told you need to go to sessions and go play at sessions loads and, yeah. um, you know, make sure you just are in the jam and just yeah. figure it out, you know. And definitely as a, I mean, I didn't feel this so much in Berlin, but um, in London, there were definitely just a few sessions who, which were completely male dominated and quite threatening in a sense that yeah. it's not a welcoming field. Yeah. Paris is also quite, was quite cold in that sense. Very like, oh, who are you? Mm-hmm. Not yeah. so much like a men's club. There were definitely also a lot of women involved because they have so many singers. But um, it's, I think there is a divide and there's a strange divide between uh, female singers and female instrumentalists. People usually assume I'm a singer because I have a lot of singer friends and um, it's still unusual to somehow to be a female instrumentalist. And um, 
it's not a conscious thing. Obviously, most people I know in the jazz scene are super lovely, and um, you know, it's not a not at all some sort of um, toxic masculinity thing going on. But it's still there must be a reason that you know it's still disproportionately female singers to male um, instrumentalists, and uh, it yeah, it needs to be inspected. And also the thing with um, they didn't have a violinist in their band, so you know, I don't know what to do with you. I really had this feeling at Guildhall too, whereas everyone did big band, and I was like, why? Why can't I do big band? Yeah. <laughs> What's the problem? And then I did one big band with um, a special Ellington uh, tribute thing because they had Ray Nance on there once, and uh, yeah, you know, great, cool. I was a soloist for the big band once. Um, Okay, that's it. It's kind of you just want to be part of the the whole process, you know. And I've seen big bands with violinists. There's like a, I went to Merz Festival in 2014, I think, or 13, something like that. Um, who, which is um, one of the biggest jazz festivals in Germany, and um, they had a giant big band playing, and there was this insane electric violinist playing in the front, and it wasn't at all like you know the feature. He was just part of the sound, and um, at first it's quite confusing. It's like I can't hear him. Like, is he playing? <laughs> and it's like he's just part of the whole yeah. sound world, and uh, I think that needs to be just more normalized because. Yeah, it's growing. And also with new technology, we're definitely just able to amplify our instruments properly now. And I think that was part of the drop in between because you can really comp compete with saxophones and trumpets because you're not loud enough and uh, it's annoying to play with super loud uh, uh, players. Yeah. I still, I still struggle with that. Yeah. The, the, uh, as in... Amplifying is so irritating. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I've gone through loads of different stages in my mm -hmm. playing. I think when I first was studying, I was, you know, when I play, I was like, right, well, I want to play with drums. I want to play with loud. With I want to be. I want to be in the crew. You know. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. So I was amplifying and, and using. I mean, I have. I still have a really nice. I, I really like the Shirtler. I don't know if you if you like the Shirtler. Pick oh yeah. Um, and I and I have a but I have a bunch of different pickups, but yeah. there was a point when I was like, oh, I I don't I don't want to amplify anymore. I hate it because yeah. you know you, it's a different thing. And yeah, I, just for me, I don't know. I got really excited in the last five years about playing acoustically. And yeah, uh, but for sure. I think uh, I mean I agree. I think uh, I was uh, uh, given this uh, ampli uh, piece like a PS. Um, amplifier by my first teacher Valentin Grigor in Berlin and um, it was made by Olivier Pont in France he is the least capitalist person I've ever met it's amazing he makes them on order or not <laughs> so like um, I have two I think and I just have to pray they last forever because um, he's notoriously hard to get a hold of I don't even know if he's still making them but they're literally the most acoustic thing I've ever come across. And um, it doesn't impede the acoustic sound. So I can easily play with the thing on and it doesn't change the sound of my instrument, which, um, yeah, I play a lot of, obviously I practice acoustic mostly because it is annoying to amplify in the house. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's the only thing I've kind of, yeah, gotten really used to and uh, everything else I, I, I I often struggle to listen to other amplified players for this reason because I struggle with the amplified sound a lot. I don't yeah. love it. 
Yeah. And therefore, uh, quite quickly, kind of can't listen to an entire CD of someone or something similar. Whereas, yeah, the acoustic sound is just softer and or they go for electric and that's a whole other thing, obviously. And um, in, in that respect, yeah, I love the acoustic sound and I've tried to, uh, yeah, uh, make it as acoustic as possible for me, I have to say. But um, it's such a pain, a huge a pain. pain. And also, everyone has to find a thing that works for them. And, um, you know, loads of people play with a DPA and happy with that. But obviously, I play with a lot of very loud people. And yeah. that would just be a disaster at some point because um, you're going to amplify everything around you as well, obviously. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, microphone doesn't work for me and therefore... I've settled with my pawn for now, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I hope it. I have to. I might have to take it apart and learn how to make it. <laughs> if Olivier yeah. never, <laughs> never resurfaces uh, out of yeah, whatever he's doing, I'm not sure. But, Do you uh, ever, the 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 pick, I've got a pickup made by a guy, uh, Eric Asito, mm-hmm. and it's a. Uh, it's a. It, I, it's not on my current violin. It was on my old violin. And I bought a new one, so it's still not. And, and and then coronavirus, and it's like, well, what's the fucking point? I'm yeah. putting. A, <laughs> I don't have any exactly. gigs, so whatever. But it's a. It's like a dual pickup. Okay. Uh, as in, it's a. It's a microphone. It's a very simple microphone. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's like a very simple microphone. Okay. On a like little stick, and then, and then yeah. it's a pickup, and they both ah. attach to one jack. Yeah. which is a stereo jack out. Okay. So, you know, you've got basically this pickup and this microphone and it's cool. and then you you know, all you need to do is attach that to a to this which is a two headway. Oh, yeah, nice. It's okay. Like a dual, I mean, I feel like I'm doing an advert here. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, no one's paying me for anything. No. Um, but it's you know, you attach it to a, a a preamp which has got two channels and then you mm-hmm. can blend the sound to your own, to your heart's content. And yeah. I found that that was the, the closest thing I could get. Okay. To, or I, that I had found myself. I reckon there'll be other systems out there. I'm not Possibly, sure. Yeah. But, but yeah, that was that was nice. I feel um, like I can't be bothered with these things so much. So yeah, the yeah. first thing I find that is okay is like, this is it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing sticking <laughs> with you forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's slightly stressful because I don't actually know about the alternative so well. So this is a good one to know about. Caruso, you said? It's by, it's, it's, it's by, it's, it's Ithaca, Ithaca Strings, which okay. is Ithaca, Ithaca. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I'm, I'm, and I think he actually, he's probably listening. I think he, he I think he's a subscriber. So, right. hey, Eric, we're talking about you. Okay. Uh, hopefully, I've said the name of your company right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'll send you. I'll send you a link. Yeah, or please. Afterwards. Yeah. I I don't know. That 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 that, that for me was the be- the best. Okay. Yeah, to, I mean the best. The mix for... of microphone and pickup sounds good. Obviously. Yeah, and for me, I was using it in a loud band. I used to play in quite a loud band. Yeah. Uh, I was, and I would be able to make judgments in the moment well, that was the thing that was exciting for me i could make cool. judgments my own judgment in the moment of what what sound i wanted and i mean you can't do yeah. too much because you don't you know your sound engineer is going to get annoyed yeah got, you know but if you've got a good sound engineer who's listening to you and who is actually you know adjusting things maybe they won't mind if you if you change things a little bit i guess Hopefully. i guess if sound engineers are used to you used to people with pedals and used to people with different sounds that are coming out they can i don't know yeah. maybe I'm, I'm probably talking out of turn well if some... you you know if you give them the loudest you would ever go 
in the sound check, then yeah. that's fine. Yeah. Sure. Usually but, that's fine. But yeah, it's something that I, that I think, I think it's a good system. Um, anyway. Yeah. Um, how did you? How have you managed during the uh, the COVID nineteen lockdown? Mm. Um, I was. Oh, I just heard my cat screaming. So. Uh, my cat screams uh, all the time. Stuck outside. Um, right. I was ill. So you were ill. Yeah. Um, first thing, basically, before uh, before lockdown started, I was at a gig and basically every single person there got ill. Oh, no. And um, it was really, um, really bad. <laughs> like for, right. I was in bed for three weeks. It was really long and um, mostly irritating because I was technically fine. And when you're lying down, you're fine. And then you get up and you can't really get up. Like, okay, cool. So nothing works. Excellent. And um, it, yeah, it was just a, a lot of phases. You know, first you have the headaches, then that goes and you think, cool, I'm good. And you no, know, something else comes. And um, the last symptom was the shortness of breath. And then I couldn't breathe for three days super well. So you have to stay upright the whole time. And it was definitely not fun. But um, I, yeah, I got, I got out of it. Um, after that that was the last thing that happened really and then I just had a few kind of post-viral things because I could just tell my lungs were definitely um, really 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 struggling in a lot of um, places and especially when it's cold um, just kind of could tell okay my my lungs took a hit and it's not how it was before so I just had to um watch out for that a little bit and i had i have a lot of people who are super helpful and you can train a little bit and stuff and uh, so i've gotten over that quite well but it was definitely you know the like the first month was just cool i'm i'm ill <laughs> and then it's not so weird that you're not leaving the house anyways uh you just you're ill so you wouldn't leave the house anyways and uh then it got into the next phase of it of okay i'm I'm not going to play for the rest of the year. That's that's quite depressing. And um, yeah. it was kind of having to, yeah, being able to have this moment of, okay, I don't like this and I don't feel good. So I'm just going to allow that. I think that was quite important to me uh, because firstly, there was no point kind of hustling and being like, no, we're going to stay active and be really positive. Like I feel like sometimes it's all right to, just concede that this time sucks and um, I'm going to do something else now. And uh, I think I was in a room puzzling for a week, <laughs> probably, uh, feeling quite sad about myself and other things, you know, you just had these waves. And um, when you get over that, that's when I think uh, creativity comes back. And I just, I had a few birthdays coming up from friends. Obviously, I couldn't see anyone. And um, luckily, I was uh, quarantined with a good friend of mine. And um, she uh, helped me make presents. So we kind of, <laughs> because we can't be there, I thought, okay, well, I'll produce a video for people um, for fun and um, make a song. And my friend is an actor, so she kind of found these characters to do and to put into the songs. And uh, they're all about the people who it's for, etc. cetera. And um, yeah, so I just taught myself how to cut videos on Final Cut. And obviously I already know how to produce. And uh, I made these videos and it 
to at least firstly I kind of made them for myself too because they really cheered me up quite a lot I have to say because yeah. they're so super silly I don't take myself at at all seriously so um it's kind of a portrayal of that and also they're very electronic which I like too and um incorporating a lot of the uh, silly ideas I have I guess and um people love them <laughs> it was so fun it was really quite nice to also just have people be very excited about something super stupid that I made in this bleak time and um, I made quite a few of those uh, for any birthdays that came up I guess and um, yeah I got out of my head of okay well I'm just gonna let this time pass I guess you know that would have been my first initial response and uh Instead, because I was signed, um, I wasn't really able to do that. It was that was a really great thing about being signed to Ropadope, which um, was just, uh, uh, yeah, the, the, just not being allowed to let this just fly by. And you know, I'm releasing something, but whatever. No, I had to kind of keep pushing and figure out ways to play online. I set myself up for live streaming super well uh, with the help from people from the label and. Um, made some really nice connections and I mean I'm sure everyone who's listening also had these um responses that it's it's kind of you reached out to everyone you know basically uh people you haven't spoken to for ages there was always this uh thing of ah you know when we're in the same city we're gonna catch up and now everything's online anyways and there's not really any reason anymore not to catch up unless you don't want to catch up you know and so I kind of caught up with quite a few people and uh, connected with people that, you know, usually maybe I would have met them in a live setting, but um, I just reached out to people I like and people I admire and kind of, or people I want help from and just, just in general, obviously people I want help from are people I admire who do something that I'm aspiring to do. So it was quite uh, somehow quite a nice shift at first, very exhausting I think to be online all the time but um you kind of get used to it obviously I'm in my 20s so I can just kind of figure it out I think and uh yeah it's I I can I will hopefully be able to move away from all this online thing at some point not in the next decade but you know at some point but um I kind of just swallowed that pill of being like fine I don't like all these online things but I have to do them and at least I can do them on my own terms and I can figure them out so uh, that's what I did for most of April I think I did a live gig with a live painter I don't know if you heard of Dora um, I think I saw it I think it was Dora the drawer really yeah and um, that was really good it was very stressful for me She's uh, she's great, but I mean, for me, um, obviously, it's hard enough to develop a solo set, but you had to think about all these technical things. So if something goes wrong, I'd have to sort out loads of technical stuff, and uh, that really takes a lot of the time that I'd be preparing the music. And so I felt quite underprepared in a sense, and uh, that was, yeah, just really really stressful which is why well, I only did it once for now but technically I'm all set up and if we go into full lockdown again I can kind of work on something I guess but um I think that's literally what kept me afloat and since then I went I did go to Germany when it was back open and um that was quite helpful it was a bit of a shock because Germany just has a totally different <laughs> grasp on this thing and mm. uh 
people are different over there and um it was yeah definitely difficult coming from really quite locked down London even after lockdown was lifted obviously half of the high street is still shut and like shops went bankrupt and just it's a different feel and um yeah I uh, I was definitely a bit shocked but um obviously that's what happens when it goes well you know no one goes bankrupt and things are back open and <laughs> the just just what happened and uh that was a good break um but yeah I came back and I think now it's kind of getting really close to my release so I have a lot of things on my hands for that which is good and uh it's just all visual it's you know it's all become the, the one positive thing was I have my album done I was so happy that I literally went into this lockdown with my album done I recorded last year in March so it, it's been ages and uh I only initially wanted to release so late because of the um, Ropadope schedule and then we pushed back even further because of Corona and then um, here we are but uh, I think it's actually probably for the best. I'm so glad I didn't release in March which, which is what I planned originally and uh, that would have just gone, gotten lost 100% so um, I think it all worked out okay and I feel for people who were just about to you know do that recording and get their projects off the ground and that's just the worst timing and um, I was super super lucky that I just did all of that a year earlier and I was at that point now and it's still really depressing but at least I have the music and I forget about that sometimes because everything is about the visuals now and uh they're very important and has, you know, been made quite clear to me how important they are now. I've never really thought about it too much beforehand because it's not my expertise, obviously. And uh, I had to ask for help from people um, for that. But, yeah, everything um, everything so far was just so fun with the visuals. I, I like to have fun with it. You know, you need to kind of, I think, if you do want to get into it, you, you realize that you have all this freedom and you can shape what your music is perceived as be, be with the visuals as well because you know for now most people have only seen my visuals and heard one song and uh, it does set the tone and you know the whole atmosphere is um, set by this artwork that I have and I'm super happy with it and it's again it's my friend that I was uh, quarantined with she did that for me and uh, yeah it worked out really well and I think uh that's just been my focus, to be honest. And hopefully I will definitely keep that knowledge quite close now because everything is moving online and it's all about your presentation. And uh, yeah, obviously the music needs to be good too, but it's kind of uh, the first step is all of the visual stuff and then the rest follows really. So mm. that's what I've been doing. Yeah, here we are. Mm. It's interesting to hear that I didn't know that you'd been ill and I didn't know that you'd yeah. been ill so badly. Yeah, it was not. It was not very fun, no. Um, that sounds. That is tough. I think yeah, it's important. It's people important, say, yeah. hear it's, it. People don't really. I understand that people don't get it because you don't know anyone who's been ill and you've not been ill, and then it's really hard to understand that yeah. what you're doing this for and why everything's weird. Like you know, obviously mentally we get it, but uh, to remind yourself all the time that okay, I'm distancing myself now for a reason and. Because you can't feel it <laughs> unless you've had it. You know, it's a bit like panic attacks. I guess you can't really understand anxiety if you've never had one. You know, it's kind of yeah, just yeah. like a feeling that 
you will you won't be able to understand if you haven't haven't gone through it and so i think the virus is you know super elusive in that sense that if you haven't been ill it's not going to yeah it's not going to feel very real it's very strange i think i would i'm feeling detached from it again even though i was ill and but i can remind myself that it's not a flu and it's not super yeah well i think it's interesting you liken it to anxiety attacks because yeah. you know what the thing is with anxiety attacks is actually that well in my opinion or you know anxiety or depression or anything that's sort of mental health related one of the problems is actually that people people you're right they can't relate to it but they think they can because they've felt sad before or they've yeah. felt anxious before because you know yeah. in a setting you know in this instance it you know they've felt that these feelings or these uh, yeah well these feelings yeah. In a in a in a moment where you know maybe in a fight or flight moment you know a bus goes past it makes them feel something or something bad happens yeah. to them they feel sad and they feel yeah. that they're like well I so I get what that's like and I know what I do when I feel that so I just I just do and I think it's the same with the virus like people because it's because it's like related to the flu or something I don't know no I'm not going to say that. I don't think that's true but because it's yeah. uh, because it's flu-like symptoms, people are like, yeah. well, duh, I've had the flu and uh, yeah. I was fine, so yeah. no worries. Uh, you know, and it's like, mm, it's yeah, because it's so bad. close yeah. to it, people feel like they can't, they, they sort of, no, no, I get it, no, I get it, it's a bad flu, no worries. You know, it's mm. like, no, 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 you've not tried, mm-hmm. you know, and you hear you talking about it, it's like, that's not, that's not a bad flu, that, 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 mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's, that's scary. It's very and you're, yeah. you know, I don't know, any anti-maskers out there? Or anti-whatever. Yeah, uh, it's not cool. <laughs> it's not cool. It's not, not cool. cool. It's, the, it's the minimum. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not so difficult. I do get that some people have like a, a mental problem with the mask thing. Like it feels restrictive and kind of claustrophobic. But it's, you know, it's something you can definitely work on. <laughs> you, yeah. I think you, you know. can. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it's really, I, I compare it to anxiety because it really had anxiety-like symptoms after a while. Yeah. And you're well, literally I, dying there like, am I freaking out or am I ill? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's still the same next day. It's like, I'm ill. I would yeah. not feel the same today. So, yeah. No, no I, I think it's a great, great, a great analogy. It's a great yeah, and it latches on to your weakest part. You know, that's why it's not like, a, it's not a illness of the lungs it's it goes to wherever you're most susceptible and Uh um most people have it in the lungs and uh, it's you know it but it goes to the heart too and it's just all around yeah Yeah. (laughs) well i'm gonna have to wrap it up actually but uh thanks so much for for chatting um when's your when's your album out yeah album's out on the 30th of October mm-hmm. and I will be doing I'm recording a live stream and um, hopefully it will all go well this week and um, I'll be performing my entire album uh, in a studio and um, yeah that will be on the night at 8 I think yeah I'm gonna televise it I might be pushing it to outlets as well so maybe it will be streamed on a bigger platform as well you never know but mostly it will be streamed on my platforms and um, yeah then it's out it's all there. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And yeah, thanks, uh, man. hope you have a nice rest of the day. Thank you. You too. I hope you hope you stay keep your head above water like all of us. Yeah.
Yeah. Let's keep trying. I'm all right. <laughs> all right. See you soon. All right. Well, see you soon. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Jazz Violin Podcast. I've been chatting to Johanna Bernhardt. I've been Matt Holborn. If you would like to support the podcast, um, you can do so on Patreon for as little or as much as you want every month. As I said, it's all done on kindness and uh, niceness, you know? You don't have to pay. You don't have to be a patron. But it does help me. It helps me a lot and it keeps me going, you know? Um, You can also get involved in my jazz violin practice club on there. And as a patron you get access to extra episodes every month, uh, which is generally me giving little bits of, little tidbits of advice or some musings on certain subjects that uh, I've been thinking about, practicing, working on, all that stuff. So anyway, thanks very much for listening and uh, I'll see you again soon. Goodbye.